Because when we practice, we clarify what death actually is and who we actually are. And when we have some clarity about this, and by clarity I don't mean we have the right thought, we have the right idea, but rather we live illuminated in that clarity, if clarity is a good word to use, and I don't know that it is. But when we have some clarity through the process of our practice, maybe actually we won't die even though it might look as if we do. As we know, there are so many things that look one way, but turn out to be quite different from the way they seem. So we're here uh, this week to concentrate on Zazen practice. And I hope that by now, or if not by now, sooner rather than later, you will be able to forget about everything in your life and just pay attention to Zazen. When you pay close attention to Zazen all the time, meaning when you're doing Zazen and when you're not doing Zazen, things will make sense to you quite differently. Life will open up. So I have a few pointers for you, very uh, practical uh, suggestions if you want to make use of them. Maybe you don't, but if it helps, here's a few practical suggestions. Uh, first, pay close attention right here. The sternum, I think that's what they call this part right here, the sternum. Feel a little lift in the sternum. When there's a little lifting in the sternum, the spine opens up. And then you will be able to sit uh, with uh, the full human dignity that is programmed into your body, in your DNA, just like the Buddha. The, the image of a seated Buddha is the human expression of serenity and ultimate confidence and strength. The Buddha sits gently, upright, and completely at ease. And even though in session you might feel a lot of pain and trouble with your body, still, this week, if you just pay attention to your sternum and lift up a little bit gently without forcing anything, without making it into a task, you know, just gently and let it happen. Then you also will be suffused with this confidence. You also will feel in your body, if not in your mind, 
the feeling of Buddha. Maybe your body doesn't want to do this, so do it with your body-mind. It doesn't matter what it looks like from the outside. Anyway, uh, you can try to make use of this practice. Also, another suggestion, you can pay uh, close attention to the uh, beauty and the, the softness of your hands, of your mudra. With your palms held quietly in your lap, gently curved, one on top of the other, and your thumb tips delicately touching, you can, you can feel the elegance of this and the beauty of this. Artists are always painting and, and sculpting the human body, and there's a reason for that. Because your human body is something very special and very beautiful. Now, now we have all the advertising and everybody's constantly evaluating their human body. It's ridiculous, you know. Your human body, as it is, given to you in this life, is absolutely beautiful and you can feel the beauty in your hands. If you are having trouble with your body in session, as people so often do, if you pay attention, you will realize that most of the trouble is not with your body, it's with your mind. Even though it's your body that hurts, it's your mind that emphasizes that and that makes the pain of the body into a tragedy in a, a five-act drama. So just notice how true that is. And then gently turn your attention away from your suffering to your sternum or your mudra. And you will see how your suffering, even if you continue the suffering, is changed. Because it isn't your suffering anymore. It's simply something that exists in a world in which there is always suffering. And you will maintain your dignity and your serenity, even if there's some trouble in the body. So those are just a couple of pointers about zazen that you can make use of if you want to. And then, of course, also, especially the breath, which I have spoken about so many times over the years. Tim mentioned yesterday that, that this week uh, I would like to study with you Dogen's fascicle continuous practice, uh, which is in Shobogenzo. There are actually two fascicles, part one and part two uh, of continuous practice. And in them, Dogen talks about this idea of his continuous practice, which is a very profound 
idea that turns all our conceptions about life and death and practice and realization and suffering and time and space completely upside down. Actually, I think Dogen is talking all the time about nothing other than continuous practice. He talks about it in different ways from different angles. Life itself, existing, is practice. When we really understand our life and we really understand our practice, we realize there's, it's the same thing, just two different words for the same thing. And it is the case whether we appreciate it or understand it or not, it's always, always so. It's not necessary that we understand it. But we would like to be able to truly appreciate it and we would like to be able to live this true fact. And even if we don't, our life anyway is continuous practice. That's how come we know there's nobody we're not practicing with, nobody who's not doing the practice. Even the stars and the moon are practicing with us. That's continuous practice. As, as he often does, uh, Dogen begins the fascicle with a kind of uh, statement or philosophical uh, discussion of what he means by continuous practice, and then Starting with the Buddha, most of it is examples throughout the history of the Dharma of different teachers who have lived and exemplified continuous practice. In this fascicle, Dogen sets a tone of high seriousness. He's really trying to get our attention. He's really trying compassionately to motivate us to take our lives seriously. And if you look at all the examples of the many, many people who he mentions, all of them are monastics who made tremendous sacrifices, went to tremendous efforts to practice. It's a little daunting. And the point he seems to be making is that if we want to really and truly live continuous practice, we have to take ourselves in hand. We have to stop wasting time in foolish pursuits. We have to stop thinking, thinking of ourselves in such a limited way. We have to really take ourselves seriously as Buddhas and give ourselves over to our practice. In a word, he's saying, continuous practice is the practice of total and utter renunciation. Whew. It's a little much. Makes you stop and wonder. What is renunciation? 
we think we know what that is. It's, it's not a matter just of giving stuff up or of enduring uh, some discomfort. Maybe we do give things up. Maybe we do endure some discomfort. Maybe we do limit our lives or seem to limit our lives as we're doing this week in Sashin. But you can give up a lot of stuff. You can endure a lot of discomfort and still not even practice a single drop of renunciation. Because renunciation is much more fundamental than this. To bring it down to a very understandable level, renunciation means renouncing stupid thoughts. <laughs> you know, dumb, useless, suffering thoughts. Breaking the habit of going on and on with our stupid thoughts. Tim was talking about this a lot yesterday, very wonderfully. If I think I don't like something, that's not really true. That's just a stupid thought. A limited, stupid thought. If I want something I don't have, if I think I'm not as good as I ought to be or as the next guy is, if I chase after my desires in my mind or complain or compare stupid thoughts, thoughts that have no other purpose than to make me suffer and distract me from what I ought to be doing. Tim said this yesterday. You, you, you know, Sashin is very good for noticing these stupid thoughts. You may get really mad at yourself for having so many stupid thoughts. There's no end. In fact, all the thoughts, pretty much. Right? Are stupid thoughts. The only thing that is not a stupid thought is that glowing coal that Guishan holds up or the teacher holds up. Life. Warm life. Maybe also tragic, maybe also suffering, maybe also loving life. The rest, we're just making up, limiting ourselves with all of this made-up stuff, working so hard to put a cage around the empty sky. And, and Dogen emphasized Zazen so much throughout his writing because he knows that Zazen is the path of continuous practice.
because it's zazen that will show us how to practice renunciation, how to become free of our stupid thoughts, how to let them simply arise and melt away like a cloud in the sky, how to celebrate our stupid thoughts, enjoy them, see them for what they are, the beautiful effluvient of being human, but not be fooled by them. When you know a stupid thought is a stupid thought, you can really see the beauty of the stupid thought, and it no longer tempts you to chase after it. So renunciation isn't just a matter of giving stuff up. It would be easy if it were only that. Renunciation is a matter of letting things be as they actually are anyway. Knowing that nothing is as it appears to be and that we do not own or control anything, including our own precious human body to be alive is a sacred gift. So here's the opening paragraph of Dogen's continuous practice. On the great road of Buddha ancestors, there is always unsurpassable practice, continuous and sustained. It forms the circle of the way and is never cut off. Between aspiration, practice, enlightenment, and nirvana, there is not a moment's gap. Continuous practice is the circle of the way. This being so, continuous practice is undivided, not forced, by you or others. And the power of this continuous practice confirms you as well as others. It means your practice affects the entire earth and the entire sky in 10 directions. Although not noticed by others or by yourself, it is so. On the great road of Buddha ancestors, there is always unsurpassable practice, continuous and sustained. To say that practice is unsurpassable is not to say, you know, we have the best religion or something like that. It's to say that there could be nothing that could possibly surpass practice because by practice, we don't mean this particular form of practice, we mean everything. Practice is unsurpassable because it contains everything. Reality is all-inclusive. 
It even contains the unreal. To call reality practice is a really good idea. Because when we use the word practice, it suggests that there is something we can do in the face of this reality. We can sit, and we can chant, and we can bow, and we can walk around, we can eat meals, we can go to sleep, and we can wake up. We can do this real life. We have a way of expressing it, a way of responding to it. And this way is called the great road of the Buddha ancestors that has always been going on and will always be going on. Zen centers may be established, they'll disappear. The Dharma will have good times of flourishing and bad times when it seems to almost disappear from the earth. But continuous practice never disappears and never diminishes. So think about this. This is why we're here this week. This is what we're actually doing. We're activating, we're participating in something far beyond anything we might have thought we were doing. The actuality of our activity this week is beyond definition and beyond measure. Dogen goes on, continuous practice forms the circle of the way and is never cut off. Between aspiration, practice, enlightenment, and nirvana, there is not a moment's gap. Continuous practice is the circle of the way. These, to me, are amazing words. Everybody knows about the Enso, you know, the Zen circle. It's very famous. That's the one thing about Zen that everybody knows about, you know, and, and is impressed by. Why, why would they be impressed by a circle? But somehow or other, a brushed circle is very impressive. That's what Dogen is talking about here, the circle of the way. A circle, you know, is a very profound thing in itself. When you are on a circular journey, every step you take is taking you away from where you began and toward where you began. You start at home. You leave home. You return home. Over and over again, round and round you go. Birth after birth, death after death. You are going somewhere. And you never go anywhere because you've always been only uh, where you are. In the classic archetype of the Buddhist path, there are many 
you know, ways of describing it, but the simple way is there are four great moments. Kind of like, you know, christening and bar mitzvah and wedding and funeral, kind of like that. But in the in Buddhist path, those four moments are uh, aspiration, as he says, aspiration, practice, enlightenment, nirvana. So first comes aspiration, bodhicitta, the dawning of the thought of enlightenment. It's because all of you have given rise to bodhicitta in your lives that you're here. It's bodhicitta that gives you the idea that you should go to session for whatever cockeyed reason you think you have. It's not that. It's bodhicitta having dawned in your souls that bring you here. And then you practice long and hard for one week or 30 years. And then you awaken and your life eases you, opens up in you. And without any fanfare or any big deal, you become a blessing to everyone until in the end, you don't die. You enter nirvana, uh, completely joining uh, with everything. So that's the classical Buddhist model. But here Dogen says that there is no gap between aspiration, practice, enlightenment, and nirvana. There's no, there's no space, there's no continuity each one includes all of them. Bodhicitta is already nirvana. It's already enlightenment. It's already practice. Nirvana is nothing but bodhicitta, practice, and enlightenment. The beginning is the end. The end is the beginning. And one moment of zazen contains the Buddha's struggle and the Buddha's glory. One moment of your zazen, actually, literally, this is not a metaphor, contains all of reality with nothing left out. And I hope before this week is over, you will come to respect that deeply in yourself. This being so, he says, continuous practice is undivided, not forced by you or others. So this word here translated as undivided is one of the most important words in, in Dogen. And in terms of what we've been speaking about, you could say it means no more stupid thoughts. Sometimes they translate this word as undefiled. Or you could translate it, I think, as undefined. But the real translation, the best translation, free, of course, very free, would be love. Undivided love. 
No dualistic thinking, feeling, or perceiving. No other, no me, no you. Only love. I don't like to use the word dualistic, and I seldom do, because what does it mean? It's some kind of a misleading concept. As soon as you think you understand it, you fell into it. It's understandable, which is why it doesn't mean anything. Because to live in the world with a body and mind is automatically to be divided, to be dualistic. There's no other possible way. Of course it's that way. I don't hear the robins sing unless the robin is up in the tree and I'm over here with my ears not in the tree listening to the robin that is not myself. That's the world. Can't be any other way. I don't argue with you unless you're over there, not me, with a different point of view. Now we can argue. The world is by its nature division. But continuous practice is undivided. All dharmas are empty. There's no gaps, no divisions, no robin, no tree, no eyes, no ears as we chant. No disagreements whatsoever. There's just continuous practice arising as the circle of the way, moment after moment. All division is painful and forced. Life is aggressive. There's no wonder there's always a war going on. It's built in. And yet, and yet, even so, and at the same time, there is no war. There is no aggression. The circle of the way always arises in perfect, undivided harmony. Even though we are alive as body and mind, and therefore cannot possibly perceive any of this directly, that's the beauty of practice. We can live it. We can resonate with our whole body with it. We can realize it. And when we do, we will have a true human happiness. And we really can be a blessing in this sorry world. This is what Dogen is telling us. And he says, you can't force this. You can't make it be so. Because it already is so. And if we do continuous practice, we can allow this way of living to blossom in our own lives. 
The power of continuous practice, he writes, confirms you as well as others. It means your practice affects the entire earth and the entire sky in ten directions, although not noticed by others or by yourself. It is so. We don't want a pat on the back. We don't need an award. Those things would be problems, distractions. We don't need credit. We don't even need within ourselves to notice it. All of that would be to be divided and distracted. We just need to walk. Uh, one step at a time. Every step. Complete. Accordingly, he says, by the continuous practice of all Buddhas and ancestors, your practice is actualized and your great road opens up. By your continuous practice, the continuous practice of all Buddhas is actualized and the great road of all Buddhas opens up. Your continuous practice creates the circle of the way. By this practice, Buddha ancestors abide as Buddha, not abide as Buddha, have Buddha mind, and attain Buddha without ever cutting off. So there is a great and mysterious continuity between our lives and our simple, ordinary, unadorned practice of Sashin. in the long road of the Buddhas throughout space and time. It's really the truth. We practice with them and for them and because of them. And they practice for us and with us and because of us. We give life to the Buddhas, and they give life to us. It's one stream of life flowing through all the seemingly disparate lives. But when we say Buddhas, we don't just mean Buddhas. It means the whole of the past and future. Through your practice, your parents and grandparents and their parents and grandparents and their parents and grandparents become healed. And when you practice, they're with you, healing you in your body. And when we practice, 
we heal our children and their children and their children and their children and their children. We bring about peace and love and harmony forward into the future. And that future, peace and love and harmony exists in our breath right now. That's the circle of the way. Nothing can cut it off. Not bothering to dwell on it, but instead linger over it as if it were another thing. Everything. Anyway. Always. There's no death. So it means there's always death. Words so twisted, I guess I go to the spot where I met her before, unexpectedly. Mark etched on side of boat, tree stump scene of rabbit crack up, expecting to meet her again. And do. We always do. Please, uh, with a simple spirit, enjoy uh, your practice. Enjoy this uh, very unexpected, precious gift of life. Thank you.